Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that's called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those who entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Well, sometimes I think we don't know what we want and as a result of of that, we don't know what to ask for. From the time that I was a little kid, my parents and now my wife have asked me, so what do you want for Christmas or what do you want for your birthday? And sometimes that could be difficult. And sometimes I thought that I wanted things that I found out that I really didn't want. Like for example, I wanted led color changing light bulbs. Uh, I don't know exactly why I wanted them. And I put them in some light fixtures I had at home, used them a couple of times and realized they were cool, but I had no use for them. I wanted a water bottle that kept water cold for several hours. Great idea, great water bottle, but I've rarely used it. I wanted a speaker that had these fancy lights on it, but didn't have very good sound. I wanted a terrarium that had these little plants in it, which I promptly killed. But there's two that top the list. Uh, The one was I wanted ukulele strings. This was despite the fact that I had never really played the ukulele, nor did I know how to tune a ukulele. So I had this old ukulele that I had been given, and I got the strings, had no idea how to tune it, didn't really know how to play it, and I still have it partially tuned to this day. But the biggest one was when I was about 13 years old, I wanted something very special for my birthday. I wanted a potbelly pig. Now, I'd watched the movie Babe as a kid, and I thought it would be so cool to have a potbelly pig and be able to hold it on my lap when I was watching that movie. So my parents were pretty insistent that we weren't going to get a pig. And it was my birthday, like I said, and I, and there were some pigs for sale down in Springville. And I told my mom that I wanted to go look at them for my birthday. And she said, well, you can go look at them if you want, but we can't get a pig. So that was my in. We went and we looked at them and my mom held her ground. She didn't let me get it. But here's the thing. These pigs weren't very well taken care of, and my mom has a lot of compassion for animals. And so we left, and we went home, and all my mother could think about that night, and all she told my father was how that poor little pig was in such a a horrible condition. What did my dad do the next day? 
Well, he drove out to Springville and he bought the pig. And he said the only condition of getting the pig was that it had to be named after him. So we affectionately called the pig Earl after my dad. I was ecstatic. I had always wanted a pig and I thought this was going to be awesome. But then I got the pig and I realized pretty quickly that this pig was not like a cat or a dog. The pig wanted nothing to do with me. The only time it wanted anything to do with me it was if I had some food. And that's all it cared about. And if I didn't have food, it did not care about being with me at all. Also, it was probably mixed with a hog because it got very large, much larger than a pot belly pig is supposed to be. So after just a short time, the joy of having a pig faded away. I thought I wanted it. I asked for it, but I didn't really want it or need it. On the other hand, there's two presents that I did receive that I didn't ask for and frankly didn't even necessarily want, but they were immediately useful. The first was a couple of years ago, my wife got me a pet barrier for my SUV so it would keep my dog in the back of uh, back part of the vehicle and keep it from jumping around. And initially I thought, I don't know about this. I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know if I'll use it very much. But from the moment I got it, I used it almost every day since I've gotten it. Finally, when I was 16 or 17 years old, 17, I, I think, on my birthday, my parents surprised me with a car for my birthday. It was an older car with a decent amount of miles, but it was in decent shape and it ran. Now, most kids would have been overjoyed by such a present. However, the weirdo that I am, I thought this meant that my parents didn't want me to be around anymore. Like, here's the car, now go on your way. So I didn't even want the car. But I look back on that, and I used that car to get to school, to get to college, to get to work. And I don't know what I would have done without that car. Sometimes we don't know what to ask for. We don't know what we really want. And in this passage we're looking at today, we see a man who makes a request, but his request is not big enough. This man is described as being lame since birth. He cannot walk, and he's dependent upon other people to carry him. So each day he got up and, and was carried to the temple and would sit outside and beg for money. This was his pattern and his way of life. Whether someone flipped him a denarius or not, this was the way he lived his life and it wasn't going to change. He never knew any other way of living. So when the apostles, Peter and John, walked by, he asked for the only thing that he knew to ask for. The only thing that he dared to ask for. And yet Peter looks at him. And he says to the beggar, look at me. And the beggar is all eyes thinking Peter is going to give him a good amount of money. And yet Peter says, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, arise and walk. And the man gets up and sure enough, he walks. This changes his entire position in life. He no longer has to be a beggar. He can now work for his money. This is a request that the beggar would have never asked on his own. He didn't even know that this was possible, but God and the apostles knew what was possible for this man and what this man needed. Now on the surface, it appears like this is sort of cute little aside to the other events in the book of Acts. When I've heard about this story, I've thought to myself, oh, that's nice. A uh, lame man gets healed. It's a cute story. 
Yet I think there's much more to this story than meets the eye. It's not just about the beggar being physically healed. Note the location and the time where this event takes place. The time is the time of the afternoon prayer. The location is outside of the temple. And the fact that the man is outside the temple is not some meaningless detail. He's outside the temple because in that time period, people who were maimed or who were lame were not allowed to enter into the temple. So while his brothers are entering into the temple to pray to God, he has to stay outside. He is an outcast, separated from his brothers and separated from God's presence. And yet he is healed and this changes everything. Notice the first thing that happens when he's healed. The text says that he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. First thing he does, he goes in the temple to pray. This isn't just a physical healing. This is a spiritual healing. No longer would he be an outcast. No longer would he be separated from other people and from God. Now he could enter into the presence of God. You see, sometimes we ask God for good things. But God wants us to experience great things. Sometimes we ask God for good things, but God wants us to experience great things. When the beggar woke up that morning, probably the greatest thing that would happen that he thought would happen in his life would be that someone would give him a big donation. And that was the greatest prayer that he could offer to God. God, would you allow me to get some money for today? He would have never dreamed that things could be different, that his life could be changed. I think sometimes we're like that. We want good things to happen in our lives. Maybe we even ask God for those things. We ask Him for good health. We ask Him to provide for us financially. We ask Him to heal a loved one. We ask Him for protection for our children. These are good things to pray for. But sometimes God wants us to experience things that are even greater than these things. Sometimes He wants us to experience things that we never thought were possible. See, despite what we ask for, despite what we think we might want, God wants to give us great things. And the greatest thing He can give us is the experience of being forgiven of our sins, of being healed spiritually, and having a relationship with the God of the universe. This is an experience that's greater than any other. But some of us are here, maybe we think to ourselves, well, I'm too broken. I've been this way my whole life. I'll never change. I've experienced too much brokenness, too much darkness. That's probably what the beggar thought. He'd never walked before. He didn't know what it would be like to to walk. He physically, even if he was physically able to walk, he wouldn't have known how to walk. He'd probably never entered into the temple before. He may have never known what it would be like to experience a relationship with God. And yet in a moment, God changed everything. And no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, in a moment, God can make you new. You can experience hope. You can experience joy. You can experience a new way of living your life that transforms everything. God loved us so much that He sent His Son Jesus to the earth who died on the cross, rose again from the grave to forgive us and bring us into a relationship with Him. And the Bible says that the way we experience that transformation is by faith. 
faith essentially means trusting in someone to such an extent that we commit ourselves to them. The best picture that the Bible gives us is the relationship between God and his people uh, and is the picture of marriage. When you marry a person, you trust them to such a degree that you commit yourself to them. In marriage, you come to the person saying, I trust in who you are enough to commit myself to live with you. To, in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad times, I trust you enough to commit to you. And in a similar way, we come to God and say, I trust in you and I commit myself to live with you, to live your way. And when we do that, God's yes is already on the table. He comes in and forgives our sins. His Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And everything starts to change. Again, marriage provides a picture of what that looks like. Before I was married, I wondered what it would be like to be married. And when Stephanie and I got engaged, there was a lot of excitement, but there was also some anxiety. A lot of changes were coming. What would it be like to live with another person, to share a bed with someone else, to share finances? And of course, there was some adjustment initially. There was some awkwardness, but it wasn't too long before I thought to myself, what was it like before I was married? What did I do all the time? What did I think about? How did I interact as a single person? In a similar way, when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, it may start off a little bit awkwardly. Changes may or may not come slowly, but it won't be very long before you look back and you think to yourself, how did I used to live without God? How did I used to live the way that I used to live? How did I live with Jesus for so long? See, Jesus can heal anyone. There's no one here that's too far from his love. Others of us, maybe we're here, we think to ourselves, well, I don't need to be fixed or I don't want to be fixed. I'm doing okay. Maybe I can make a few tweaks in my life, but generally I'm just, I'm doing all right. Well, sometimes I think it's easier to do what we know than what we know we need to do. Sometimes it's easier to do what we know than what we know we need to do. Psychiatrist Dr. Stephen Gross points to research that shows that we don't always respond to alarms like we should. He cites the research that even when a fire alarm goes off, we don't usually do anything. We look for other cues to tell us what to do. For instance, in 1985, 56 people were killed when a fire broke out in the stands of a soccer match in England. And as they examined the television footage of that event, they found that as the fire was raging on, the people were simply in the seats watching the soccer match. Research has also shown that when we do move, we tend to follow old patterns. We tend to go to the exit that we, the, the same entrance that we came in, we exit. We usually ignore emergency exits. After a fire in the Beverly Hills Supper Club in Kentucky left 177 people dead, forensic experts confirmed that people were waiting in line to pay as the fire was raging. They were doing what they knew. Groves concludes this, after 25 years as a psychoanalyst, I can't say that this surprises me. We resist change, committing ourselves to a small change, even one that's unmistakably in our best interest, is often more frightening than ignoring a dangerous situation. We don't want an exit if we don't know exactly where it's going to take us, even or especially perhaps in an emergency. We want to know what new story we're stepping into before we exit the old one.
Most of us don't like to make changes, even if we know those changes are helpful. And you might be here thinking to yourself, well, my life is working out pretty good. I have some money in the bank. My family is healthy. I don't have a lot of worries. And yet, deep down, we know that there's something missing. There's some brokenness that needs to be healed. See, Jesus didn't come to the earth just so that we could have some good things on this earth. He came to this earth so we wouldn't have to spend eternity separated from Him in hell. He came so that we could experience life here, but also life that continues into eternity. And we can experience that life when we put our faith and trust in Him. We don't know how much time we have left. And I guarantee you, you'll you'll never get to the end of your life and think to yourself, well, I wish I would have waited longer to follow after Christ. I wish I would have lived my life longer by myself than following after Christ. If anything, we'll get to the end of our life and think, why didn't I follow Him sooner? Why did I waste so much time trying to do things my own way rather than living life His way? But to do that, we need to turn from the direction we're going. The Bible calls that repentance. Turning from following our own way and turning to follow God's way. In his book, The Divine Commodity, uh, Sky Jethani tells a story uh, about how him and his father went to India. And as they were in India, they were in this, on the streets of New Delhi, and a little boy approached them, and he describes the boy as being skinny as a rail and naked but for tattered shorts. His legs were stiff and contorted, like a wire hanger twisted upon himself. He says because of his condition, the bo- little boy could only waddle along on his callous knees. He made his way towards Sky and his father, and he says, One rupee, one rupee, please. Then Sky describes how his father responded. What do you want? my father asked. One rupee, sir, the boy said while motioning his hand to his mouth and bowing his head in deference. My father laughed. How about I give you five rupees? The boy's submissive countenance suddenly became defiant. He retracted his hand and sneered at us. He thought my father was joking, having a laugh at his expense. After all, no one would willingly give up five rupees. The boy started shuffling away, mumbling curses under his breath. My father reached into his pocket, hearing the coins jingle. The boy stopped and looked back over his shoulder. My father was holding out a five-rupee coin. He approached the stunned boy and placed the coin in his hand. The boy didn't move or say a word. He just stared at the coin in his hand. We passed him and proceeded to cross the street. A moment later, the shouting resumed. Except this time, the boy was yelling, Thank you, thank you, sir. Bless you. He raced after us once again, but not for more money, but to touch my father's feet. Jethani says this, This, I imagine, is how God sees us, as miserable creatures in desperate need of his help. But rather than asking for what we truly need, rather than desiring what he's able and willing to give us, we settle for lesser things. Sometimes we ask God for good things, but He wants to give us great things. Some of us are here, and maybe we've never entered into relationship with God. We've always lived a certain life a certain way, and maybe we're a bit like that beggar sitting outside the temple, just trying to get whatever scraps life uh, could give us. If that's you, all of that can change today. You can make a decision that impacts how you live your life today. 
and where you spend eternity. And if that's you, don't leave today without making a decision to follow after Jesus. For those of us who are believers today, don't be discouraged when God doesn't answer your prayers in the ways that you think that He should. Don't be discouraged if your prayers aren't even always answered because God knows a lot more than we know. In Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 28, it says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. All things work together for those who are called according to His purpose. God has our best interests in mind. His Holy Spirit is inside of us and His Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. He knows what we need even when we don't know what we need. We might be praying for good things, but God wants to give us great things. And He might choose not to give us those good things so that we might experience great things. He might choose to allow us to go through suffering to draw closer to Him, to further our witness to form us more into the image of Christ. To allow us to love people and to love Him deeper. God knows what we need. And we just need to trust in Him. Author Nancy Spiegelberg once said this, Lord, I crawled across the barrenness to You with my empty cup, uncertain and asking any small amount of refreshment. If only I'd known You better, I'd come running with a bucket. So my question for us today is, what are you coming to God with? Are you coming to Him with a cup saying, God, give me some change. I just need a little change to live my life. Or are you coming to Him with a bucket saying, I don't need change, I need Your presence. I need You to fill me up in a way that only You can fill me up. Sometimes we ask Him for good things, but He wants to give us great things.